Oh man, dude, no, it, it, I was one of the longer, I wasn't the, uh, the Mike Trout or the, uh, Shohei Otani type. I was more of the, the guy that had to grind a little bit and create my own avenues. Um, but it was fun in doing so though, cause you know, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn how much you actually love the game, but, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really realize, I think probably the first break I got was my, my junior year in high school, loved playing basketball, was freshman MVP, JV MVP. And I Hi, everyone. Welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto of Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, Neil. I'm doing awesome. How about you, my friend? And I can't wait to talk to our guests because I love baseball. Oh, see, that's the I didn't know that. Then I'm going to have to get you more and more baseball players. Our guest today is Jeff Bloom, former Houston Astro. Much more. I see the Montreal Expos on that list. So that'll be an interesting conversation and he's a, now a podcaster as well as a sports analyst from with uh, Believe in Astros. Jeff, thanks for stopping by, man. Bye, man. How are you? Uh, good to be on. I feel underdressed. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just jump. Let's just jump specifically enough. He always outdresses me. I need to maybe beat, the, <laughs> beat that next week. Um, let's kind of jump into. Did you always want to be a baseball player growing up? Um, yeah, I think I had the idea that I wanted to do something uh, athletically. I wasn't exactly sure what it would be, but, you know, as a kid, Halloween would roll around. I'd wear, uh, you know, pick a baseball uniform or wear my Little League uniform around and uh, fantasize about being a, a big leaguer someday for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, that is so cool. And uh, what was your first break, you know, to get in? Did you go up minors? You go right to majors? It Oh man, dude, no, it, 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 I was one of the longer, I wasn't the, uh, the Mike Trout or the, uh, Shohei Otani type. I was more of the, the guy that had to grind a little bit and create my own avenues. Um, but it was fun in doing so though. Cause you know, you learn a lot about yourself. you learn how much you actually love the game, but, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really realize, I think probably the first break I got was my, my junior year in high school. Loved playing basketball, was freshman MVP, JV MVP, and I thought my next step was going to go to play varsity. And uh, my varsity basketball coach pulled me off to the side. He goes, if you want to be any good at this game, you're going to have to quit baseball. And I said, really? <laughs> you know, I, I thought I was pretty good, but um, just looking at my size, my athleticism, and uh, I, I said, I appreciate the thought, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play baseball primarily, and that was the best thing I ever did. Yeah, because you always think is what's your size, Jeff? So that, that that you were a basketball player too. What what was your size? Oh, I was six foot three, about a buck sixty in high school, and I was I was stopped. I wasn't going to get any taller. Um, I don't think I was going to get any faster. But I knew that you know my frame was going to fill out when I got a little bit older, and that only meant that I would be slowing down. So it fit better for baseball. Okay, uh, that's amazing. So what was your first break in the majors? Um. This is, sounds terrible. My first break was when Orlando Cabrera broke his ankle in 1999 and opened up a spot for me to get called up. <laughs> that was my big break. Wow. Oh, wow. And did you think it like in that process, the minors in that process to get to the final call up? That's a big thing, right? Especially now in baseball with the competition level and all going through this compared to other sports where you get drafted and you're going to go and play. But in baseball, that's not it. You go to the minors, you learn the process and then wait for the call up. Yeah. And, you know, even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I was playing in the minor leagues, you know, there were, it was different. You had to really, they had an X number of at bats they wanted you to get in the minor leagues, X number of innings pitched before you could even be thought about getting into the big leagues, unless you were that phenom. And, uh, I had been working my way through the minor leagues and actually I was enrolled in classes for fall to go back to Cal. Cause I thought that was going to be my last year in professional baseball. 
And, uh, you know, I'd been kind of struggling a little bit, had a good year that my last year in 1999 before I got called up. But at the same time, I was 25, 26 years old. And I was really like, you know, how is this going to look on a resume? I was kind of looking towards the and I said, I'm going to put everything I can into this season, see what happens. Um, and at the same time, I enrolled at classes to go back to uh, Cal and finish up my degree. But lo and behold, I get called up on August 19th, 1999, and uh, turned myself into a, a valuable utility player. And I never got sent back down until I was uh, officially retired in 2012. Wow, that's awesome. You know, you must have a couple of uh, really cool stories that pop out in your mind that you always like those defining fun stories or defining difficult stories. Either way, I'm happy to hear either one, a fun one or a difficult one or either, you know, in, in baseball. Well, you know what? I, you know, I switch hit and call in uh and professional baseball, but I did not switch hit until I got to college baseball. And a lot of people are kind of floored by that because I learned how to switch hit when I was 18 years old in 1991 in division one pack 12 baseball and uh, that wasn't the easiest thing to do. And three years later, I get drafted to play professional baseball. So I was only three years old as far as being a left-handed hitter. Um, a lot of people take that for granted and just assume, oh, this guy's been hitting left-handed his entire life. But it was uh, it was a moment in uh, fall ball when my head coach, Bob Milano, uh, pulled me off to the side and said, you're going to learn how to switch hit. And I was like, no, nah, you know, that didn't sound like a great idea. You, you signed me to be a right-handed hitting shortstop for you. And he goes, I think you've got the athleticism. I think you can do it. And uh, being 18, a little bit too cocky, maybe at the time, I said, yeah, you know what? You're damn right. I can go out there and do that. And uh, I proceeded to work at it. And we played a fall ball schedule where I proceeded to go 0 for 50. I did not get one hit. The only bonus was I wasn't striking out a lot. I was actually making contact. I just didn't have enough authority to figure out how to get a hit. And uh, after those 50 at bats and after that fall ball schedule was over, I walked into Coach Bob Milano's office and he was old school. He had the dip in, he had a chaw in one cheek, he had a cup of coffee and a cigarette. And he's just sitting there puffing, smoking and spitting and uh, looks at me and he goes, what do, you, what do you need to talk about, son? I said, well, I suck. And I go, I hate sucking. Uh, you know, I'm killing the team. I'm killing myself. And I go, what's, you know, what am I getting out of this? And he's like, well, he goes, you got two options. He goes, I appreciate you coming in. He goes, you got two options. He goes, one, you can continue to, to switch it because I still believe in you. And he goes, the second option is you stop and I pull your money. I take your scholarship away and you got to, you got to play it, pay on your own, or you got to leave. And I was like, well, mom and dad don't have the money. Uh, I'm going to have to figure this thing out. And I said, thanks for the talk coach. I'm going to, I went back in the cage for the next two hours that day <laughs> trying to figure it out. And by the end of that season in 1992, I was the starting shortstop for the California golden bears in the college world series. And then you fast forward to 2005, I hit the game winning home run in game three of the world series and guess which side of the plate I'm standing on when I hit that home run. Left-handed. <laughs> so, I mean, this guy, he, he was my, uh, you know, he was that father figure I'd always been looking for. And he was that coach that always uh, found a way to encourage me. And uh, I, I thank him every day. He's got a big picture of it in his office of me hitting that home run. And I owe it all to him uh, for being able to teach me and convince me that I could go out there and hit left-handed. Uh, How was that? Follow, you know, that's all right. Real quick, real quick. Yeah. What, what was the mechanical change that you figured out, you know, the left, you know, to make it happen? Which one should I tell you about? Because I, I turned into the Cal Ripken of left-handed swings. There was a uh, 
there was a famous Cal baseball player that played at uh, New, for the New York Yankees and had a rookie year where he hit 25 home runs. Name was Kevin Moss. And, uh, you know, big, strong guy was in a real squatted down position. So that was like my initial swing. I'm like, well, I'm going to swing like that guy. He went to Cal. He was good. He hit power. And I was terrible. It wasn't. An, and then I, I decided to stand up a little bit flatter bat. I made a lot of contact, slapped the ball around, um, figured out how to get hits. And this is back when I had speed too. But uh, it wasn't until 19, 1998 I had elbow surgery and was sent from AAA down to uh, West Palm Beach to play A-ball, kind of work my progression back uh, as far as rehab. But before I got on the field, I actually had a chance to sit in the cage and just take thousands of swings. And I had there was a hitting coach down there named Frank Kremblis. And he's watching, we're working, toiling away. And uh, he goes, have you ever thought about getting your hands away from your body? Because I'm a big guy. Um, and he goes, get your hands away from your body and kind of clear some space to let your hands move a little bit more freely. Um, that was one adjustment. All of a sudden, I started to drive the ball. And I developed a little bit of a toe tap to get my weight on my backside. And next thing you know, I'm driving the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, finished 1998, great. Go to big league camp in 1999. Go to AAA, have a great year and get called up. And the rest is history. Wow. You know, thinking about, you talked about the World Series, winning a World Series. Like, again, when you get the chance to interview all these players, being an analyst now, and talking to all your former colleagues in in Major League Baseball, not many of them can say they're world champions, right? That's got to feel great. It it does feel great. You know, I, I I had a modestly good career, you know, that I'm beginning to realize, you know, now looking back on it at the time, it felt like a complete grind, but uh, I appreciate my opportunities. Um, but it's kind of funny. You walk around the ballpark a little bit and everybody, you know, you kind of get the, I, I know that guy works for the Astros, but what does he do? Who is he? And you kind of get the initial, oh, hey, nice to meet you. The next day when people actually go to Google or go to baseball reference and they see, you know, some of the stuff that you've done, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, Jeff, nice to meet you. All Your street cred goes way up once they realize that you want to ring as a player. Wow. Two-part question. First is, you know, which which pitcher or or pitchers where you're like thrilled that we're going to be throwing at you that day and, and which ones weren't you too excited about? Uh, the, the worst are the easiest ones, even though I, I, I hit a home run off Randy Johnson, but I think that might've been my only hit off him. And he absolutely destroyed me uh, for obvious reasons. Like he did a bunch of big leaguers uh, at the time. The other one was Kevin Brown. I thought that dude hated me for whatever reason. He was just, you know, ginormous, you know, wore like a youth medium shirt when he pitched, was just huffing and puffing, sweating, growling. And uh, he would throw me 92, 93 mile an hour split fingers, and I could not figure it out. And uh, he he would destroy me. I was like two for 30 off of him. And then uh, on the other side, if uh, Jeff Supon was ever pitching, I knew I was going to play that day, whether it was in the playoffs or whether it was in regular season. I would look at our schedule, and if we were facing up against him, I knew every manager I had would put me in against him because I had just ridiculous numbers off him. Uh-huh. What would he say now by you telling that? Would he agree with you? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure he would. I mean, it's hard to argue. I think I, lit- I literally had about 30 or maybe 30, 40 at-bats off him and hit 500 with like three home runs. That's why that was your numbers the whole time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have my own podcast bigger than this, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, obviously, I'm from Boston, and if you didn't know that, so you know the Red Sox near and okay. dear to my heart. Who who would you rather uh, be up against, Pedro or Roger Clemens? Roger Clemens, any day of the week. Uh, you know, uh, 
I, I didn't face, fortunately, I didn't face either of them all that much. I think I faced Pedro more, but I had the misfortune of facing Pedro during that 99, 2000, 2001 stretch that he was on where it, it was, it was wiffle ball, Nintendo, you know, it was like video game type stuff that he was throwing up there. Um, as much fun as it is to compete against guys that are that good, it's, it's a realization that they are that good. And that was probably the, the most fun I've had and the most horrifying times that I've had because I get questions like this all the time. What was it like facing Pedro in his prime? And he had four legitimate all-star pitches. And I remember my first time facing him, I, I was like, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to sit fastball away and I'm going to adjust everything else. <laughs> Brutal. He, he buggy whips a fastball in there that I foul off, you know, then it's a curveball, then it's a changeup, then it's a slider, and then he takes speed off his fastball, and I'm going, what the hell's going on? So I eventually got to the point where I said, you know what? I've got one chance on one pitch, and it's the changeup. So literally, the rest of my career, I sat changeup on him every single pitch, and I actually got a couple of them, and I didn't miss them, thank God. But, man, all of his other stuff was just wicked, nasty. At least with Roger, you knew he was going to challenge you every once in a while with a fastball before you got to the split. But uh, Pedro Martinez was just – he was filthy in every sense of the word. Wow. Cool. It's interesting when people say – when you get to talk to players today, who, do they remember these players you're talking about? Are they – <laughs> Yeah, they, they do. They understand it. They remember it. I mean, because of these household names – Compared to baseball today, you have some household big names, but not as many, I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, the turnover is a little bit greater, you know, with these these shorter career spans, I think. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you see flashes of greatness, but it's the consistency that I think was back in those days. And it's kind of funny that, you know, all these guys that I'm around now and have the ability to talk to and they, you know, they'll get the guys that'll come up. Did you play against this guy? Did you play against that guy? What was it like? You know? And uh, they're just fascinated that all these guys that they've, you know, they've heard all of these stories about or watched the VHS tapes are all in that grainy, gross video that you watch and you're going, and was he really as nasty as he was? And I can confirm that. Yeah. Most of the time they were. Wow. That's just crazy. How about, you know, on the fielding side, you know, what's it like turning a double play in the, in the majors? Is it like, like the first time you did it, was it awesome or? Yeah. Oh man. It was a hell of a lot more fun than it is now with these slide rules that they have in place. Uh, you know, there was an art form to uh, turning a double play up the middle because you knew there was the ability to that somebody was going to come in and try and break your legs when you were turning that double play to to break it up. That's probably a term we don't use all that often is that a runner is trying to break up a double play because you can't anymore. You've got to slide straight into the bag. It's got to be clean. You can't go wide. Um, you know, there were plenty of guys that would go, wouldn't even be able to touch the base that were coming after us. But one of my favorite baseball cards is in Wrigley Field. I'm playing shortstop, and uh, Damon Buford's coming in, and I just turned the double play. I'm up in the air. You know, it's just this picturesque, you know, athletic move that I'm going, and, you know, Damon Buford's got his elbow up in the air, and he's trying to get to me. Um, but, yeah, there was a certain there was a certain art form that I think is lost now on those double plays where the guy can be a little more casual around the bag and set up for a better throw because he doesn't have to worry about getting smoked by, you know, you know some of these guys coming in. Not quite as exciting as it was when I was a kid growing up. <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember too. I love that part of it. I, I was like, hey, it's part of the game. I got to <laughs> figure out how to do it. You know, that was that's that was the art of it. It was trying to avoid those those collisions. So now, life when you decided life after baseball, were you ready? 
Man, no, I don't know if you know this, but I've got four daughters. And uh, so I was like, okay, as well as I've done, I need to keep working <laughs> because <laughs> we've colleges, weddings, and all the, all the stuff that goes with the life, because you know, that, that earning window that we have as ball players is very short. And I knew that uh, I did well, but not well enough to retire on it. But I also love the game too. You know, I, I talked to a lot of my contemporaries that uh, had retired before me that I played with were, that were still in baseball. I had guys that retired and were out of baseball and those guys that were out of baseball, some of them wanted to come back and they were having a hard time doing it. So through the process of just kind of talking to some people that I respected and that were still around the game, I said, you know, I need some advice. What are we doing? I know my career is coming to an end. Um, I want to be around the game and to a man, every single one of them said, if you want to stay in the game or if you want to be in the game, stay in the game. And that meant after retirement, you know, coaching, scouting, front office, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but media was an option. And so I went into that, uh, off season with the idea of getting prepared to have a job after baseball. And it just so happened that I got released from the Arizona diamondbacks in July of 2012. And I knew that was it. I was done. I didn't even try and call anybody to go get a job. So I was just like, man, my body's broken. I need, I need a break. And, uh, they had a unique situation where they, they fired their television play-by-play -play guy. Their color commentator, uh, had just been, believe it or not, arrested. I mean, I'll let you go back and do the investigation. I don't want to throw them under the bus because I love them, but they, they missed a cup. They lost their TV crew. So they were scrambling to put a group together. In September, they asked me, hey, we've got two open dates that we can't cover. Would you would you think about coming back and doing our color analyst? And I was like, you, well, I was like, first I was like, you're still paying me so I can, I can do whatever you want me to do. But at the same time, I was like, are you sure you want me to do this? Because I've never done it. And uh, they said, yeah, come on out, talk to my agent. He's like, this will be perfect. It's a demo reel. You'll get your feet wet and we'll move on from here. So basically those two games I did with Arizona in 2012 were my demo reel. They were okay. terrible. I was awful. Um, I, the greatest piece of advice I got in the booth was from Tom Candiotti. Did my first game. I uh, was looking through stats, notes, stumbling, bumbling, you know, trying to sound coherent, trying to say what I thought fans wanted to hear. Went terrible. The next day I showed up, Tom Candiotti came in and he's like, how'd it go? And I'm like, I, this is hard, man. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, well, what'd you do yesterday? I said, well, I had the notes. I had my stats i had this because you get you get so much information in the booth it's crazy he comes in and he looks at my desk i've got notes i've got my stat packs and he kind of takes his hand and literally grabs a trash can and just scoops it all in the trash can and i go i'm like bro what are you doing man I'm like i had highlighters all over this thing he's like he's like so what he goes well, what did you do for a living and i said play baseball he goes what do you do what are you watching when you're watching the game and i go i'm watching baseball he goes, well, tell the people what you're watching. He goes, explain to them why a bad hop happened. Why did the pitcher throw that pitch in that situation? And that's when that light bulb kind of went off is like, that's my job. I've got to add color to the game and bring that to the fans at home. And that was a real turning point for me. And then luckily, uh, I've interviewed for the Astros job and I've had this job ever since 2013. But uh, that, that was a big turning point for me in the booth. And how about what is being it? at that? Oh, God, Greg, another question. Go. Yeah, I was just going to ask you real quick, what, what are some of the, the favorite plays that you called out that you can remember now once you got that all figured out, what you're doing? Oh, man. Um, 
we we've had a couple of, we had a you know combined no hitter in New York last year was unbelievable because I played in the the last no hitter at well last no hitter thrown against the Yankees at home I played in and then last year on June 25th the anniversary's coming up I got to call the combined no hitter at the new Yankee Stadium so tying those two things together was pretty remarkable um, anytime Jordan hits a home run, I'm losing my mind. Uh, those are the ones I remember. We have, you know, we have division clinching games. Um, I've been in the uh, clubhouse as a player that celebrated, and then I got to be in there as a broadcaster and cover celebrations. Uh, those are just some of the ones that really kind of pop out early. Wow. That's really cool stuff for sure. And basically, how, why the podcast? So tell me about the podcast, especially because <laughs> you're doing the analyst. I think everyone needs to have a podcast now, as we're seeing. That is the form of medium that people want to consume more and more, especially because it's longer, not the sound bites that you get in baseball or mm -hmm. kind of the entertainment value the ESPN gives versus really giving the behind the scenes, the things that you know and you could say and put your color into it, right? No, you're exactly right. Yeah, and I like this. I like the forum that you guys are going with right here, interviewing people. And I think that's actually one of my podcasts. We're going to shift in that direction and try and get a little more insight because you're right in the sense that everything that you're watching on TV is obviously programmed. There's, there's sound bites, there's timing, there's elements, sponsorships. There's so much production put into what you see on tv that sometimes it it's not watered down but it's just kind of brief you know it's kind of abrupt at times where you kind of want to expound a little bit or give a little more insight or tell that colorful story and you don't really get the chance to do that on on live tv so why not break it down and take your time to really unpack and unfold or really form an opinion and i think that's where podcasting is great and you know, if anybody's listening to this, do it. It's cathartic. I mean, you get to, you get to talk to people, you get to, you know, say some crazy stuff and maybe say, I shouldn't have said that, or man, I really didn't <laughs> know I felt that way kind of thing. Um, but it's been a lot of fun and, you know, being on the believe network now with uh, Jeff Balky and talking more Astros and really kind of, it's helped me in my broadcast because it really, you know, he asks questions that maybe I don't think about, but it really kind of funnels everything through that Astro lens and kind of, you know, kind of helps you dig a little bit on some of those numbers and expand on what you saw that following week or what you expect to see the upcoming week. No, and I see when you're talking to people like in that way, you're able to really know you're not looking at that sponsor or that thing. You can really give your real true opinion mm -hmm. because there could be people in the back end when you're going to interview or you go in the back interview some of the players. You can't say certain things because it could come back po politically. But then you have your own platform. You can say what you want to say. That's the big thing. That goes yeah. You say yeah, one I, thing wrong or you say thing that might tick off listeners. It's your, your podcast. You can do what you want to do. Yeah, because they're making the choice to tune in. They're actually tuning in to watch the Astros, <laughs> you know, instead yeah, of me. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. You don't need your notes or your, uh, your stats cards with you either. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, it's a lot less prep. It's a little more coming straight out of, you know, that's kind of the beauty of it too, is it's kind of impromptu. And if you've got good enough guests and you're having that conversation, it'll spark some conversations that you don't, e you don't even anticipate going. I know, like right now I'm going to ask you, I forgot to ask you about Mariano Rivera. What what was that like? You know, the closer. <laughs> Dude, man. Yeah, not good. Not, not good at all. And uh, be, having been a switch hitter and, uh, you know, I played on a team with Jose Cruz Jr., and 
that was maybe five years into my career and I was playing with Tampa. So we were, we were in the American league East. So it opened up the opportunity to unfortunately face him quite a bit. And I'd always gone up there left-handed. He breaks a bat every other at bat that I'm facing him because that cutter's coming in. I can't adjust to it. I'm grounding out to first base. I'm popping up to the left, you know, to left field. It's just, it's, it's a battle. And uh, I watched Jose Cruz Jr. go up there right-handed and he got a base hit. I'm going, dear God, man, what are you doing? He's like, he goes, where's the cut? Where are you? He goes, how do you face him left hand? I go, he blows me up every time gets jammed because that cutter was moving in. He goes, well, I didn't want that. So I'm going to go up there right-handed, have it move away from me. And I'll just slap it the other way. And I was like, man, I didn't have the cojones to do that though. Um, I, I was, I, I couldn't do it, but I, re I respected the fact that Mariano was so good that he turned a switch hitter into a right-handed hitter against him. <laughs> and, uh, the best at bat I ever had against Mario Mariano Rivera was in spring training and, uh, it was, you know, it's spring training. So you're kind of like, I'm going to try something new. Uh, if I don't get a hit here, it doesn't matter because there's no impact, but he threw me a cutter. And I mean, I was like, I'm going to open up, I'm going to get the barrel to this and hit it as hard as I possibly can. And I remember I opened up and I smoked one into the camera well at like 150 miles an hour. And it's just rattled. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> the next pitch was a cutter on the outside corner. And I hit it up the middle. I was like, dude, why didn't I do this like 10 years ago against this guy? <laughs> yeah, but he, he was really good. Oh, it sounds like he was good. When you faced a, a pitcher, did you have ever a fear when you, that you might get hit, especially ones never? No fear nope. ever? Nope, nope. I think that, uh, I don't know how many, I mean, it was just for me personally, if, if that fear was in my mind, it was going to, it was going to hurt my at bat. I didn't want to go in there. I, I feared more that they were going to throw me a nasty slider curveball. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid of getting hit. Nope. I mean, granted, I didn't play in an era like now where everybody's 95 plus miles an hour, but, um, I really didn't have that fear of getting hit. No. Okay. All right. All right. Greg has a question. He asks every one of our celebrity guests. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, this is an important one. This is for me to help me get better. I hope I'm ready. And for everybody that, that listens, um, what do you think is the most important thing that you've ever learned in life? Man, getting deep. Um, probably the most, the, the best, I mean, there's a couple of them, but the best piece of advice, and this probably works now that I'm older too. Um, it was, it might've been 19, it might've been, it was either, I think it was 1999 that year I got called up. But uh, I, I had been playing, I tr I've tried to play a little bit of third base and it wasn't going well. I kept making errors and, and uh, moved back to shortstop, made a couple more errors. And there was just this, this frantic feeling on the field for me because a lot of people don't realize how fast baseball is actually moving when that ball is put in play. But uh, my manager, Jeff Cox, pulled me aside and just kind of said, you know, you've got more time than you think. And I, my immediate re reaction was bullshit. I'm like, this guy's running a four second, you know, uh, speed down to first base. This guy just, he's got this crazy hop coming off the lip. If I don't catch this clean and I, if I drop it, I got to freak out and throw this thing. He's like, you've always got more time than you think. And immediately the game slowed down for me. And all of a sudden I took a better route to the baseball. I started to get better hops. I was a little more keen to to seeing the ball into my glove, making the exchange and making the throw and throwing guys out by two steps now. And all of a sudden I'm going, damn, dude, thank you. But now that I'm out of the game 
and I watch our kids on phones. I watch, uh, you know, how these games are reacting. And I'm like, everything's coming at us through a fire hose 24 seven, but you've got more time than you think you will be okay. If you fail this test, ask the teacher if you can retake it. Or what do I have to do the next time to not fail that test? And now that I'm in my, you know, I just, I just turned 50. I'm going, man, my time's running out when in actuality, it's not, you know, we've got podcasts, we've got, <clears throat> I've got a platform. I can talk to my kids. I can direct them. I can slow things down and I don't need, I have to have these knee jerk reactions. And I think that's probably the best advice I've ever gotten. I still use it to this day, even when I'm having an argument with my wife or I'm trying to correct my kids, take a step back. I don't have to answer this right now. I don't have to fix it right now. And I'm just going to take my time and we'll, we'll work it out from there. But, uh, you've always got more time than you think. And it's hard this day and age with as fast as this world's moving. Excellent advice. Thank you. That's advice I'll have to think about too, Greg. That was really great advice. The best place we people can listen to the podcast is where Jeff. It's on all major platforms, but we're on the Believe uh, Net Podcast Network, B-L-E-A-V. Um, I know that we're on all those major platforms, you know, from Apple to Spotify and uh, that kind of stuff. And, of course, uh, watch every Astro game you can. I'll be on there. All right. We appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks again. Fantastic. Oh, thank you. All right. That was Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto. Greg Hanegas. Take care.